Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. Hey everybody and welcome back to another episode of Wings for Breakfast, our twice-weekly Red Wings podcast here on The Athletic, presented by BetMGM. I am Max Boltman, with me as always is Prashant Iyer, and we've got some uh, some news to finally break down. The Red Wings have had now their uh, end-of-season availability as it coincides, uh, as we suspected, with the announcement of an extension for Jeff Blaschel, the Athletics Pierre Lebrun reported on the Athletic Hockey Show Wednesday, that that length of the extension is two years. Red Wings did not want to announce that. Eiserman says it's a personal policy not to, which I can actually, frankly, understand. Uh, but with Pierre reporting it's two years, that is some good context to understand all of this. Uh, Dan Bilesma, the other bit of news, will not be returning. Um, Going to pursue other opportunities, which leaves a job open on the Red Wings bench uh, that they'll have to fill now. But We'll get to that in a moment, Prashant. I guess I just wanted to kind of get your first reaction to the extension for Blaschel. I mean, it took 10 days to finally get the news that I think almost all of us had expected was coming. Um, yeah. You know, I I don't think the, the extension shouldn't have come as any surprise. I think if you sort of take a step back and look at this team, um, you know, as Eiserman has to do, Plain and simple, he really laid it out in his press conference. I have to give Jeff better players in order to be able to really expect better results. And if you sort of look at Blaschel over the course of the the seasons that he's been here, um, the Red Wings simply haven't really ever given him at any point in time a lot of talent to work with to, to, to really have the expectations that, you know, things should have gone better than really the way that they are. And, and so I think as you sort of step back and you and you view that view kind of the news through that lens, then you sort of come to the decision of, OK, well, do you want to be the team that continually turns over their coaching staff when really the problem is there's not enough talent here? Or would you rather be the team that maybe has a guy that serves as almost like a voice of stability, um, seems to be doing some things that you like with some of the younger players, uh, maybe has a philosophy that you know, on paper sounds reasonable when outlined as kind of a defense first 200 foot uh, hockey player type. And if you sort of view it through that lens, it sort of makes sense that, you know, he's a guy in this situation that, um, you know, really hasn't been given enough to expect more. And therefore, you know, there's sort of sticking with stability here. Yeah. I mean, I, Eisman made a comment at one point saying, you know, I can change the coach year after year after year, but ultimately until, uh, the, the team is better. It's not going to matter. I'm, I'm paraphrasing there, but I can find that quote actually, if, uh, if, if, <laughs> if you give me a minute, but um, you know, I thought that was very revealing and I thought, you know, it's something we've, it's an idea we talked about on the show a week or two weeks ago of, you know, especially as, as we, we actually got into, I think as we talked about the Sabres of like, you you can change the coach every year if you want to. And, and if, if the next guy comes in and the expectation is, okay, the standard here is this, uh, these are your players, the same players the last guy had. Uh, good luck. I mean, th- then the Red Wings probably weren't going to get traction if, if if they boiled down uh, their results over the last five six years to Jeff Blaschel. And you know, as we've talked about in the show, like that that was never really a f- maybe a fair understanding of um, what Jeff Blaschel's job is. And I, I I don't think that makes him immune from criticism. It doesn't mean that if you're uh, the coach of a bad team, everything you do is right and everything that, that that happens that goes wrong is just a product of talent. I think the Red Wings had the talent to score more goals than they did this year, for example. Um, 
but I don't know that they had the talent to win more games, at least not more than one or two more games. Um, ultimately than they did. I think they, you know, they, they won the season series with Carolina. I would not have expected that they played the series season series with Tampa much closer than I expected. They got, they did way worse against like a team like Chicago or Nashville than I'd have expected. So these things cut both ways, but I ultimately think law of averages says, I ultimately think it, it, you know, the Red Wings felt like uh, they were more competitive. They were, they were a competitive team this year. Uh, Iserman liked how Jeff Blasio worked with him on, you know, bringing the young players, into the lineup without just handing over spots. And then I think when you get back to that comment about not wanting change after change after change, the answer you boiled down here to is they're fairly happy with Jeff Blaschel. Um, you know, not so happy as to give him like a, um, you know, blank check or anything like that, but certainly happy enough to bring him back and, and sounds like conscious enough of the state of their roster to not, you know, put too much stock into, um, ultimately the, the team's results in making that decision. Yeah. I mean, that's sort of how you have to really view it. Um, and can you criticize the move? Certainly you absolutely can. I mean, I can, uh, I can sit here and I can nitpick and say, well, you know, has he really done enough for, uh, the young players to, to say that we're really warrant in that, uh, warrant that fashion. I think on the surface, it sort of sounds like the philosophy that he wants to teach these players, um, you know, definitely sounds great. Definitely makes sense. I think, you know, objectively, if you look at sort of where all of them stacked up, um, statistically, none of them had a particularly good year. I mean, Philip Zadina, as much as we want to talk about him being a, a sniper, a playmaker, you know, his points per game dropped and his goals above replacement actually drops. And so he actually doesn't look objectively as good as maybe he does in years past. You know, the same, we've ta- had this discussion at length about Dylan Larkin. You know, you've had the discussion at length about Philip Aronik. And so it, it's sort of, I, I can nitpick there, but at least from the standpoint of, well, okay, you can continue to turn this team over, but at the at, at a minimum, um, there's still not enough talent here to really have any better expectations. I mean, you and I, I think, said it a few weeks ago, the Red Wings had finished with more points than both of us thought they would. I mean, I think we both had them around 45 or 47 points. The Wings finished with 48 points. Um end up being marginally better than we thought they would be. And then, you know, they end up playing Carolina well, Tampa well, like you said. Uh, So, you know, I think there's room to criticize. I think there's room to nitpick. But I think at the end of the day, sticking with stability certainly doesn't feel like the wrong move when you sort of view a team like Buffalo that's really turned over coaching a lot recently and still can't seem to get it right with the amount of talent there. I actually think it's going to be kind of an interesting – case scenario here when you have the Red Wings and and the way they've done it versus some rebuilding teams that have made a couple changes already. I mean, the New York Rangers will have kind of the third coach of their rebuild next year. Uh, They're a team that I think has a very bright future, certainly with the the talent that they've had, the lottery luck that they've had, the free agency success that they've had. Um, I certainly expect that they will be more successful sooner than the Red Wings. Um, But when you look at them, you look at the Devils that are on their second coach, uh, you look at or third coach, second coach, where, who are the devil? They got, uh, Nazruddin, right? Is that where he's still the guy there? I believe so. I don't think they've fired him. Although, you know, with the revolt coaching revolving door, it's so hard <laughs> to like keep up. I mean, now we're talking about Glashow being what the, the third longest, uh, tenured, yes. um, head coach right now behind, uh, what Cooper and who's the other one that's ahead of him? Uh, Paul Maurice. Yeah, yeah, that's right. That's right. Um, yeah, no, Nasruddin's a assistant, assistant head coach. But he was the interim. He was the so, interim. So they, so they yeah. had Hines, Nasruddin, and now Ruff. Yeah. I don't know if we have to count Nasruddin as a head coach as an interim, but yeah. you never you get my point. Like, like there's teams out there that are taking a very different approach uh in terms of how many new voices than the Red Wings. Uh and I'm not saying that the uh coach decision is gonna be ultimately what makes any of those teams successful or not successful. Ultimately, I think as we talked about on the show. Uh, NHL coaches probably have less of an impact on the overall, um, you know, the, the inner workings of an individual game in hockey than they would in, you know, other sports. Uh, but I do think it's an interesting organizational sociology experiment, I guess, to see how these two different things go. Yeah. I mean, it, at the end of the day, I don't know that you can definitively come down and say one way or another, what should have happened. Um, and, and, and again, you, you watch all these other teams that have turned over so many different coaches 
Um, and then the, the critique ends up being exactly that. Like, okay, there's no stability in the locker room. The organization needs stability. On the flip side, you, you have a team like Detroit where, okay, well, they're going to stick with it because they like the philosophy. They like the ideology. And at the end of the day, they just need to put more talent there and maybe things can get better. Um, so, you know, we'll see. Uh, I, I don't think it's above, you know, I don't think it's a, this move is maybe above reproach or above critique, but at the end of the day, I don't have a problem just sticking with stability and doing it on a short term, like two years. Yes. I, uh, I think that's certainly fair to say. And, and I, I wouldn't read too much. I saw some people on Twitter today saying, Oh, two years, right. Bedard, Mitchkov, those guys, two years, his last extension was, was two years as well. I think it's just a, a fairly standard uh length yeah for, i mean two, for, for i think it's spot they are i think it's a standard length but also at the same time like it's probably it's the, shorter than maybe like uh, the, what you give a guy with the first time you hire him or anything like that but like for the situation that this is in two years is i think what we predicted isn't it yeah i, I mean at least i think i tweeted a couple weeks back that i thought it was going to be a two-week um or two-year uh <laughs> extension not two week a two week would be a little bit wild but you know a two-year extension in, in that regard and, and it makes sense because Probably the next two years or the last two years where you can really say the wings are restocking the cupboard. Or at least yeah. it should be the last two years where you're really saying if, they're, they're going to succeed. Right. If you're going to yeah. be successful, the next two years should be the last two years where you can maybe skirt by with, um, you know, you maybe can hang on to your position without necessarily having a ton of victories. But, you know, if you're talking about this team being successful in their rebuild, you're talking about the right guys being able to come in and have a huge impact. If this team is not turning the corner in two years, that's where I think there's a lot more leverage to say, all right, we got to we got to make a change here because, you know, things are just not moving in the right direction. But up until that point in time, I don't have a problem hearing on the side of stability. No, nor do I. Um, the one change that the Red Wings did make was was Dan Bilesma is, is departing. Steve Eiserman said that the biggest reason for him leaving was that Bilesma is a head coach at heart and he wants to do that. Um, however, we had talked about this, you know, independent of that, that this was an area that the Red Wings could really stand, um, to make a change anyway. So, you know, certainly, you know, everyone has their reasons for, for job choices, for decisions, all of that, regardless of ultimately kind of the, the motivation behind this, this, behind this vacancy. Now that it exists, I think this is one of the, um, pretty big storylines of the early part of the summer here. And it doesn't sound like they're going to rush this process at all. Jeff Flashel said he does not think it's going to be uh, a quick search uh, for, for the Red Wings here. They're going to kind of find the fits and narrow it down. But I thought um, I asked him kind of what the, uh, what the items he'd be looking for in identifying a fit would be. And I thought his answer um, was interesting and ultimately I think should be pretty encouraging for those who um, have found the Red Wings power play to be bland, predictable, um, all of the things uh, that we heard all year and that we, I think, said all year. It was not a very good power play. It was, uh, what, what did it end, 11.4% or something yeah. right around there? Yep, historically uh, awful. Really bad power play. So here is what uh, Jeff Blaschel said uh, about what they're looking for. He said, the power play is an area that needs to be better, and that's not certainly on any one particular coach or any one particular person. The guys that are on the ice have to do a better job, and we've got to do as good a job as possible at preparing them and giving them a plan that works. So different offensive ideas, probably use the word tactician, especially a guy with an offensive kind of mindset, somebody that brings in something, there's some different, potentially unique ideas. It's hard to come up with things that are real different or unique in this game. That's not necessarily how you win, but ultimately there's some fresh ideas or unique ideas or different thought processes End quote. Prashant, I have to imagine that's music to your ears. Yeah, I mean, for sure. I think if you watch the Red Wings power play this year and really watched it over the last couple of years where they have been absolutely atrocious. I mean, we're talking, you know, under Bilesma, they were the worst power play across the board in every power play metric last year. And this year, we're very close to being worst across the board in every power play metric. So, you know, the biggest things when you watch that power play was they didn't vary the way they attacked the zone when they were coming in on entries. There was very little movement of the puck, very little crossing of lanes, very little, you know, desire to generate dangerous chances by looking for dangerous passing lanes. And there was very poor puck recovery. Basically, everything you're looking for in a, a power play just was not there the last two years. And so, to me, this was by far the most important change that had to be made this offseason from a coaching standpoint was, you know, you had to come up with a different philosophy. And 
the way that Blaschel sort of describes what he's looking for, I think is exciting for a couple of reasons. So obviously, number one, you want a better power play. Um, that has to happen. And to me, you know, all the people who say, well, you need more talent, you need more talent, you need more talent. That's absolutely not the case. We, we mentioned this a couple of weeks back. Buffalo was a league average power play. Had the Red Wings been a league average power play, they're on the fringe of actually contending with the, with the Stars and Predators for that final playoff spot. Um, but because they're not, you know, they're not even close there. And so you don't necessarily need the elite talent in order to have a successful power play. You need a scheme, tactics, and, and all of that. So I think that's really encouraging on that front. But the second thing is, is bringing in a guy like that is counter to the ideology of Jeff Blaschel. And I think that's a really strong move because one of the things you have to avoid is ever becoming an echo chamber. Whenever you have an echo chamber and you have a bunch of people who are all on the same page, always thinking the same way, I think progress gets stunted. I think there's a default to this is the way we've done it and that's the way we're going to do it. But if you bring in someone who thinks the game differently, has a different mindset, and you put them in charge of your forwards and you put them in charge of the power play, you potentially get a generation or a hybrid of some of those ideologies and potentially you get a much nicer product to watch. So I think I'm excited for two reasons. Number one, to see what this person does, you know, to the power play. But number two, how does this, you know, Jeff seems to be a very open-minded person to a lot of new information. How does this change Blaschel's approach to the game, to his philosophy? And does it do anything different that really allows the Wings to maybe take advantage of some of their more skilled players? Right. I mean, this hire is ultimately going to, yes, run the power play, but ultimately work with the forwards and and be a voice in the in the room. And and so ultimately, um when the when the coaches are talking about various things, whether it be some some scheme elements, how they want to forecheck, how they want to enter the zone, how they want to, you know, have their rush organized, yada yada. Um, assistant coaches in there for that. When they're talking about, you know, you know, uh, style of play, what they want to emphasize, assistant coaches in on that. So you talk about bringing in someone who's a tactician, and yes, I think that helps your power play. That's probably the facet of the game where, you know, I kind of quote-unquote tactics, you know, face-offs and power plays would be two of the thing, first things that come to mind that you can actually kind of run quote-unquote plays for because hockey's a very fluid game. Things change fast, right? But ultimately, if you have that offensive mindset, you have kind of an instinct for these things, I think the ripple effects of that onto your overall team can show up. And I do respect that, uh, that Blaschel is kind of emphasizing that, you know, even when, you know, a lot of his overall, um, you know, at least in the messaging to the media tends to be about, you know, start with the defense, don't give everything up, don't give anything up and then, uh, build out from there offensively. Um, I, I respect the, you know, to come out and say, you know, I, I need a, a tactician, I need an offensive mind. And I do think that makes the Red Wings a stronger team, as you said, when it's not, you know, as much as I think, you know, you certainly want a unified voice from a coaching staff. You also want uh, different inputs going into what the ultimate philosophy and messaging is, not all through people who maybe are thinking of things the exact same way. That's how you get the best results, I think. Yeah, I mean, I completely agree. And, And that's not just limited to hockey. That's not limited to sport. Really, at the end of the day, you get you make the most progress when you have people who think differently and have people who approach things differently and you get different creative, you know, problem solving skills out of that. And so, you know, at the end of the day, if you have a lot of people that are open minded, bringing different voices and are encouraged to, to kind of speak that, I think this becomes a much better product. So, you know, even beyond just what this person would do for the power play, hearing Blash will describe what he's looking for, I think is a very encouraging sign to see because it may have a, a huge influence on what we see on the ice. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. All right, you knew it was coming. Uh, who fits this description? I mean, it, it is certainly I find one of the most challenging uh, things in, in in beat writing is like in this little window before you can kind of really, you know, uh, 
start identifying who these candidates are. Um, on the coaching front, it's very hard to know whose like specialty is what, right? Like, you know, you, you know, who's in charge of the power play and you know what power plays are good. Uh, but why is it, is it the coach? Is it the tactics? Is it the players? It, it can be really hard to just as it is hard to uh, source blame, source credit in some ways. And so uh, I do plan to dig in a little bit on this and try to start figuring out uh, who are some of the hot names on the power play front, who are some of the tacticians that are available on the open market. Um, but I suspect you have at least a name or two that immediately jumped to your mind when you first heard that quote from Blaschel. Yeah, I mean, when I heard that quote, I'll go to the drum that I've literally been banging for two years. Somebody give Igor Larionov a job in the NHL. Um, and what a better situation than Detroit, right? I mean, the guy is literally nicknamed the professor because he thought the game at a higher level than just about anybody that played for that Red Wings team. It, it's what allowed him to be an effective player at 43 years of age in the 0-2 Stanley Cup Finals because he's just so, so smart in the way that he approaches the hockey game. And now, you know, recently he's gotten into coaching. He's expressed an interest in coming over to the NHL to coach. He's done a nice job with the Russian teams um, as he's worked with them in the World Junior Championships, uh, particularly the floor, the forwards more so than um, the defense. I think there's certainly questionable tactics that exist at five on five, but at least when you hear him speak about kind of what he wants to see from forwards, it's almost like you can match it up to, to some of what Blaschel saying with, you know, being a tactician and, and sort of thinking through those processes. Um, and I think he would be an excellent guy to, you know, give him his first shot at being an assistant coach in the NHL level, give him the opportunity in Detroit, allow him to have a hand in, in the way that the forwards are managed and allow him to have a hand in the way that the power play is run. And I think you have the potential for a really exciting um, an innovative scheme that might bring some new ideas and new challenges for kind of opposing uh, penalty kills. I think it's an interesting idea. I mean, you and I went, were going back and forth on it the other day um, when we when we saw the news about Bilesma. And uh, I do think as an assistant, it, it is a kind of a, a natural entry point for someone who, you know, I, I'm not aware of Larry of having coached um, a, a full season team. I think he's just coached with the Russian national team. Um, which is mostly kind of tournament style play, but stepping into an assistant coach role, you know, you, you kind of got to start somewhere, right. And you don't have to start as a head coach to be a good assistant coach. And ultimately he has enough, uh, more than enough, uh, actual lived experience, uh, playing hockey, playing, uh, for the Red Wings, playing obviously, uh, a big role for the Red Wings and, and to know that, you know, obviously he knows what he's talking about. He, he doesn't have to have the length of resume that you might expect from some um, people who don't have the, uh, the name recognition or the, or the, uh, you know, a dish outside experience, relevant experience, other relevant experience, I guess is what they would call uh, that category on a resume that Igor Larionov does. I think you can justify if, if the Red Wings want to go this way. And, and I don't know that, you know, they, it didn't sound like they have anyone at the tip of their mind right now. Um, they're going to kind of survey their contacts, but you know, it, Especially, you know, I, I don't, I, I never know how much weight to put in, you know, because because you and I hear things a lot more in our mentions uh, that that can kind of become Twitter echo chambers, uh, and I never know how much stock to put in them. But I do think the the case you can make for someone like Alarionov to get a shot like this is interesting. I just also wouldn't get your hearts set on it, everybody, because they're also going to look at a lot of, I'm sure, other candidates who uh, are already uh, coaching in some capacity, but. When you hear unique ideas, different ideas, different mindset, that does say, you know, off the beaten path should at least be on their minds. Yeah, I mean, that's sort of how I, I view this is because if you think about the the kinds of guys that become assistant coaches, it's, it's not typically guys already circulating in the NHL. Um, it's either head coaches that have been fired and are looking for a way back in. And so they'll maybe take an assistant coach job like, you know, Dan Bilesma, John Torchetti, you know, guys like that who have previously come through that were head coaches and then wanted another shot um, and, and tried to do that by way of doing a good job as an assistant. Or it's guys that are poached from lower levels or around the world to sort of come in and bring those new ideas at a higher level. 
And I think if if you're the Red Wings, to me, there's just not a whole lot of the guys. I'm not really interested in the whole bring the head coach that's been fired uh, aspect in, just allow them to sort of use it as a stepping stone and kind of move that way because that's what the Wings have done the last couple of times with Bilesma and Torchetti. And it just it just hasn't panned out. Sure, there's guys like Bruce Boudreau out there who seems to have a pretty nice offensive mindset, but at the end of the day, I, w- I want to hear something different. I want to hear something new. To me, there's a whole lot of growth that can happen with the power play. And I think the power play in particular has been an area where things just haven't necessarily grown or been as innovative as they really could have been. I mean, for years and years and years, we watched umbrella power plays. Now we've started almost watching every team run a 1-3-1. But, you know, what happened to playing from behind the net? What happened to running with five forwards? What happened? I mean, there's so many different ideas that can really exist. And to me, that that's where I want to see someone new who is willing to come in and bring those. And so a guy like Larry Onoff, I mean, you know, maybe you take a path similar to what the Hurricanes did with Rod Brindamore. Brindamore never coached anywhere and then is brought in as an assistant coach for the Hurricanes to work with their forwards and work with their power play. And he sticks there seven years and now he's the head coach of Carolina and, and he's done an outstanding job there. But he was a guy that, you know, not necessarily the same sort of tactician in a sense of Larianov, but again, a highly skilled player that is a guy who's very relatable and can teach the game very well. And that's where I think bring in somebody new as opposed to sort of going for a retread who's been around the league and is is not necessarily bringing in anything new or innovative that really fits that tactician description. Thomas Vanek to run the power play, who says no? I mean, look, Vanek is a guy who's done an outstanding job. Mike Green's a guy who's done an outstanding job, all running different power plays. Now the question becomes... Can they take their in, immense skill and be able to teach it? I think yep. that's a that's a huge barrier, and we see that more than just sports, that sometimes the people who are best at things are not necessarily the ones most capable of teaching it. So, so, but hey, I would interview, I would not be opposed if you told me you wanted to interview Thomas Vanek and Mike Green to run a power play, go for it. Because they're guys who are, may bring something different, and if you feel they have the capacity to teach their ideas, then that's outstanding, and I, and I would love to hear it. But Lirianov's a guy who, has, again, has done a nice job teaching young players in Russia, a guy who thought the game at an extraordinarily high level, and a guy who has a philosophy that I think would do a lot for Jeff Blaschel in terms of just letting that rub off on him as well to where uh, he's a guy that I would absolutely love to see get an idea or get a shot. But, you know, like you said, Max, I, I think someone texted me today and asked, what would you put that likelihood of, of Lirianov uh, being the assistant coach one on a scale of one to 10. And I said a one because I just don't think it happens, but he's sort of the the mold of guy that I want to see get that opportunity. Yeah. Well, I will try to do some poking around um, and, and see if there's any names that are just kind of broadly on the market that people feel like deserve uh, a look, deserve some recognition or deserve to be talked about. I, I think assistant coaches is one of those things in, uh, the NHL that it's so hard to know much about. I mean, I, I believe Dean Evison in Minnesota was an assistant coach uh, before he took over for Bruce Boudreau. You know, he's a guy that's going to be up for coach of the year this year. And I do wonder how many people outside of Minnesota and uh, the Nashville organization where he had been before knew his name before he was the head coach of the Minnesota Wild. You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, and that's, that's part of the reason why it's like, if you can pull those sort of guys, like, you know, cause, cause Evanson, um, you know, I think he did a really nice job in Milwaukee for a long time before he he, he came up to Minnesota. Um, so, you know, being able to pull a lower level guy and letting him come in and, and do a night, do something different, I think is outstanding. I mean, if you're looking for a guy that sort of fits that mold, I mean, Brad Lauer um, is a guy who one has history with Eiserman as he was previously um, an assistant coach for Tampa between 15, 16 and, and 17, 18. And he actually ran Tampa's power play and, those years, I think they were 28th his first year, but then 6th and 3rd uh, the two years after that. And now he's down in Edmonton um, in the WHL coaching the Oil Kings and the one coach of the year last year. And the Oil Kings are were ridiculous this year. Um, so, you know, and he's he's been able to coach guys like Dylan Genther and, you know, have some, uh, you know, fun hockey teams there. So to me, like, he's another guy that, you know, you pull a guy like that back out of the WHL and say, hey, you want another shot at the NHL level? You know, that'd be an interesting, um, you know, way to go about things. And but that that's sort of the mold of like what I want to see. I don't want to see them bring in Bruce Boudreaux to be an assistant coach. I don't want to see him do anything like that. 
Because number one, I think from an ego standpoint, what does that do to your head coach when you bring a guy like Boudreaux in or another well, guy? Well, he's already done that, though. Like, Jeff Blasher willingly brought in a Stanley Cup champion head coach. And, like, I, I don't think I, – I definitely get where you're going. But, like, from, like, a, you know, are you threatened? Is the, does the seat get hotter? But I just think Jeff Blasher's already done it, you know? Yeah, I think there's a little bit of a difference between Dan Bilesma, who coached for a couple of seasons and won – granted, he won the Cup with Pittsburgh, but then – comes in a little bit later to Detroit, and you're mm-hmm. still a younger head coach at that point. I think what they brought him in after Blashaw had three seasons under his belt. I mean, now yeah, you're talking right. about, I've been the head coach here for six years. I have a lot of people that have been telling me my seat is hot, and you bring Boost Bo- like you bring in Bruce Boudreaux. I, I'm not saying Boudreaux specifically. I just yeah. mean, you know, like I, I just think, you know, the, the fact that Blashaw brought in Bilesma and had to hear people, presumably, I mean, I guess he says he stays off uh, Twitter, certainly more than I do. Uh, you know, I, I think he must have heard at some point the many calls for replacing with Bilesma, which we were hearing until early this year. I think when people realized that, you know, Dan Bilesma, Bilesma runs the power play. <laughs> Bilesma runs the power play, right? Like, um, and, and it's no shade against Dan Bilesma. That's, that's just what the reality was. But, but a lot of people were calling for Dan Bilesma to be the head coach for at least two thirds of his tenure. And, and that, you know, that did not uh, deter Blashell, I guess. You know what I mean? Yeah, I mean, that's fair. It's just, to me, the optics of bringing in a guy like Boudreaux, who's been a successful coach for so many teams, uh, you know, all across the board, and has been in this game a lot longer than Blashell, uh, that just, it feels weird to me. But also, at the same time, Bruce Boudreaux, he's a known commodity, right? You know what you're going to get from him. He's not bringing in anything new unless he has gone out yeah. and decided he's going to do something different. And it's the same for all those head coaches out there that, you know, they're fired. They're going to bring the same back thing back in. Like Daryl Sutter, they bring him back in in Calgary. He's right. not bringing in anything different. It's the same damn Daryl Sutter. Like, you're going to get the same philosophy that has really sort of aged out from his Los Angeles Kings days. Like, yep. he built a specific team. It worked that way. You're not going to get those same results if you don't change your philosophy and be willing to update. So, I don't know. I just, it, I, I would hate to see them do that again and it'd be especially after having the first two with Bilesma and Torchetti just not pan out. Yeah, and I, I don't think you're wrong about that. Like, I, I ultimately think um, w- when you say you want fresh ideas, unique ideas, all that stuff, if you ultimately fall back, unless it's like a really specific person who's been in the NHL and, and they were really known for, for, for the tactic side specifically, um, I, I think the odds of bringing in someone who's like an, been an NHL lifer and getting unique ideas, uh, at least as a coach, NHL lifer, uh, are a little less than if you were to, to try someone who has at least a more limited uh, NHL coaching background uh, personally. Like, you know, you know, but then you look at somebody like, and I'm not saying like Sheldon Keefe is like a power play wizard by any means or anything like that. But like you look at, he's one of, I think, the more, the better coaches in the NHL right now. Uh, and he's a guy who Sheldon Keefe played in the NHL, you know, like it's not, it's not like you need someone who's like, uh, you know, hasn't, isn't, didn't come up in the NHL or anything like that. Hasn't been around it. But I just think if you have someone who's used to doing things a certain way, I think that inherently conflicts with the idea of unique, fresh ideas. Yeah. I mean, that's exactly it. Like there's literally one person in the NHL who I would accept, like coming back to Detroit to be the assistant coach is Jim Hiller. And outside of Jim Hiller, because Jim Hiller is literally the definition of a power play wizard. Um, he's currently with the New York Islanders on their assistant coaching staff. So I don't know why he would come back to Detroit uh, after being an assistant in 14-15. But really, he's he's the only guy that fits the definition of a wizard to me on the power play. I mean, I think uh, in each of his assistant coaching seasons where he's run the power play, I think it's been seven years. He has had one team not finish in the top 10 in expected goals uh, per 60 on the power play. And that was new, the Islanders last year. And they were yeah. eighth this year. Like that guy, he had Toronto at first for four consecutive seasons, all four years. He was there in, in power play expected goals for per 60. Like that guy knows the power play. If you want to bring him in, great. Other than that, bring in somebody new with some different ideas. I think that's fair. And it, it sounds like as they start their search, that's what they're looking for. It always takes two to tango. And this is not a situation like a head coaching job where you can say there's only, you know, 30, I guess, 32 of them now in the, in the world. And if you want one, you got to take the one 
that is offered to you unless you're offered to multiple. I mean, assistant coaching jobs, that's a little bit different ball game. There's different routes you can take. You know, there, there's obviously like three times more of, of the NHL assistant coaching jobs. But, you know, is an NHL assistant coaching job better than a head coaching job in college and junior in the American League, yada, yada? Those are real debates you can have, right? Like Jeff Blasher went from NHL assistant to uh, AHL head coach, and that was, you know, an upgrade before getting to NHL head coach, right? So I ultimately think, you know, it, it's, it is, you do have, have to be a little more careful that, you know, you, you can't probably pick your target and then there there's a good chance they'll accept in the same way that, that there is with, I think, head coaching jobs. Um, but, you know, I, I also think it, it gives you more room and that you can be more confident hiring someone with less of a resume. I wouldn't, for example, want to hire someone with, without any head coaching experience as an NHL head coach. But as an assistant coach, I think that's a different question. And, and you can bring in guys who, you know, maybe their best experience to this point is in college or something like that. I, I think that's a that's a real thing you can do with an assistant that maybe you can't do with a head coach. Yeah, and I mean, that's that's fair. It's sort of like I, I, I sort of hate that to a sense because it's almost like uh, defining like entry level positions and there's some gatekeeping. I get it. There, there is. And, and so part of me like doesn't like that whatsoever, particularly when like the coaching side of things is handled so differently than like the GM side of things in the sense that like, you know, okay, you're a former player. That means you can be a GM, but literally all of the skills to be a GM are not any of the skills of being a player besides knowing talent um, it's like all the economics and business sides of things and, 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 and whatnot. And, and that's just like, okay, yeah, that's totally fine. But then, you know, from a coaching standpoint, it's like, okay, well, you had to have been an assistant coach for X number of years somewhere before we're like willing to, to do this. And I think part of me is why the game sort of stagnates to an extent, because you're not willing to sort of push the envelope and, and challenge ideas and, and bring in people who just think differently and maybe can get different things out. Um, but I get it. I get it. This is where we're at. And so at least do it with your assistant coaches. I think it's fair. I think it's certainly fair. Anything else stand out to you from Eiserman's press conference or anything else you want to say on the, on the coaching topic? Uh, I mean, I think that at the end of the day, you have to be impressed with his commitment to this plan that he's got. He's going to be very patient with it. And everything is, I mean, it just listening to him, he's patient with his decision-making. He's level-headed with his decision-making. He's rational with his decision-making and so it's it's really hard to nitpick what the, you know the direction of the Red Wings right now. Um, I think to me, you know, something we didn't hear, and obviously because it wasn't a focus for that uh, coaching conference, but at, at some point, you know, we're going to have to talk about how this team ramps up and how this team really changes, or are they sort of going to sit here and play lottery odds for the next couple of years? That's sort of to be determined. But at least at this point in time, I mean, you have to be very happy with kind of the rational and level-headed decision-making. Yep, I think that's fair. Um, I did ask Eisman a question about if he would be willing to part with picks or prospects in a trade, and I don't know that I got a uh, – I mean, he, he answered it, um, but I don't know if it kind of changed any way that we look at things. He, what he pretty much said is he'd do it, but it has to be a player who's going to be around for three, four, five years, be in kind of their age group, which you know he kind of laid out Dylan Lark and Jacob Brown and, and Tyler Bertuzzi – um, you know, their age group um, or younger, obviously. So I think that kind of gives you a cutoff of, of 26, 25 or younger um, of players that he would look into. And I don't know if that's any new information. I think that's that's what we'd have guessed he was doing anyway, right? Yeah, I mean, at least I would have guessed that. But just so you know, now you just committed Sam Reinhart to come into Detroit. So congratulations. Well, he's an RFA, right? Yeah. So you could sign him for longer. I mean, like mm -hmm. that. I don't know if I committed Sam Reinhardt <laughs> to it, but I, you know, I look. Would you say no to Sam Reinhardt? No, I would not say no to Sam Reinhardt. I think he's a great hockey player. Yeah, I I wonder about like some of the you know like the guys in Arizona. Like you know, Connor Garland had a really nice year this year. He's an RFA. Does Arizona want to pay him? He's twenty five. I don't know. I have no idea about anything that's going on in Arizona <laughs> after you know well, just clearly literally literally the tumultuous season they had from the ownership like the katie string article and yeah all that. i have and i mean now they're forfeiting they've forfeited their picks they had a terrible draft last year like this is a complete disaster so i have no idea what's happening um and how they're sort of what their plan is to progress forward um they have certainly some nice pieces you know with garland and keller um, schmaltz and, and schmaltz chikrin obviously had a huge season this year 
but I just I don't know what their what their trajectory is. Like, are they going all in now? Are they going to tread water? Are they going to backpedal? Like, who, who's to know? Well, that that's what's so interesting to me is like, would it shock you if Arizona traded for Jack Eichel? No, it wouldn't. Like, I would <laughs> I would be I wouldn't be shocked whatsoever if they decided that that was the route that they were going to go. At the and same, yet at the same time, yeah. would it shock you if they traded uh, a 25 or younger, really good player like a Connor Garland uh, in order to recoup some of the draft capital that they lost? No, that's the thing. It's like <laughs> it's literally like spin the wheel and see what happens because I have no idea. <laughs> Maybe what's they'll do going both. There. Right. I mean, yeah, they literally could do both. Um, and so, you know, they're, they're just an interesting team in general to pay attention to. But, uh, you know, I'm, I'm curious to see how this all shakes out. But, yeah, I mean, you know, I don't know that that answer that he gives you really sheds any more light on anything we knew. I think it's very much, you know, we'll do what we have to do in order to make this team better kind of, you know, answer. It wasn't a bad answer by any means. Like no. He was, he was, he was honest. Yeah. He, I don't, I didn't feel like he was evasive. It was just like a, you know, at the end of the day, he can't really get into too broad of hypotheticals here. And so I asked, you don't want him to speculate on trades. What? What? You like you don't want him to speculate on trades. Like, I very much want him to speculate on trades, but I don't expect him. Like to. I can get him an HF boards login if he wants, and he can just go to town on that. Well, he is uh, HF boards. That's fair. He's the moderator. That's fair. That's <laughs> Fun fact. <laughs> oh man. Yeah. No. So, I, but but you know, I, I did think you know it, it's it's relevant to to say that he's willing to do some of that stuff, and you know, I, I'm sure people will read the answer and wonder Reinhardt Eichel something there. Uh, I wouldn't read it that way, uh, but I certainly wouldn't rule it out. And I think that's, that's kind of by design for him. Yeah. I mean, literally like this is the definition of when um, the Penguins fans around the league or really people around the league, you should always go Malkin. Like it's <laughs> anytime, anytime a player was being held out for, you know, some reason Malkin is Malkin being traded. It's the same concept <laughs> now, except now we're just going to talk about every player under 25. Eichel? Any, yeah, Eichel. Like we're just going to do it. So you've created a new monster. Oh, that's hilarious. The betting odds were like nine to one, weren't they? For way him, higher than I'd have expected. To go to Detroit? Yeah. I think it was nine to one or 10 to one. I can't remember for sure, but you know, more higher implied odds than, than I would have necessarily thought. I don't know how much of it is because. He does fit the age group, and the Red Wings are one of like six teams that can a cop that can both accommodate his cap and have the assets that it would take to get him. I mean, I'm I'm sure there's on some level it's like you know the the odds of a given billionaire buying a hockey team are always not that crazy because they're one of like however many guys in the world who literally could do it. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Anything else stand out to you? I mean, I I thought there was a comment at one point that caught my attention where Eiserman said. Uh, I think the quote was something like he was asked about Giovanni Smith, Michael Rasmussen, Dennis Chalowski, and Gustav Lindstrom. And he was talking about, you know, whether they would, uh, you know, be on the roster, kind of saying he hopes that they're on the roster next year. And the quote was something like, uh, you know, they would need waivers uh, and they'd have to be pretty bad at this point uh, to waive them or something like to, to, uh, to be put on waivers. I thought that stood out. I think, I thought that, tells you, you know, you can kind of expect those four on the roster next season. I also found it interesting as it pertains to the expansion draft, because if you don't want to put those guys on waivers, how much overlap is there, you think, there between not wanting to expose them to Seattle? Yeah, I mean, I think that's very interesting. I don't know that I would read that much into it to say that, like, okay, now Troy Stetcher is going to be exposed because they're going to, or Vladislav Nemestikov is going to be exposed because they they want to protect those guys um, in that regard. I also wouldn't read into it in terms of him thinking, okay, I'm going to make a deal with Seattle such that they take X player. Oh, I don't um, think he'll do that. But, you know, I think I have a hard time reading into that quote just because. Did it not make you more, like, more open to the possibility that, Chalowski and Lindstrom get protected over Stetcher than you were a day ago? I mean, I I can tell you exactly that. I would absolutely protect Troy Stetcher. But I would too, between, but I'm just saying. I don't, I don't know that it really changes me because if you think about it, at least with the way the Red Wings played Stetcher, I mean, he was a guy who sometimes was a healthy scratch for this team. Um, to me, I think there's maybe a difference in perception between what some of the analytics models sort of suggest was Stetcher's kind of impact on the ice and maybe the way he's necessarily perceived in the organization. And, and is, was he just a stopgap for a season that allowed the wings to protect, you know, 
uh, Lindstrom and, and Chalowski, and they're more than okay losing him. I mean, he is from that, you know, Vancouver, BC area. Right? I think he'd get taken if he's exposed. I, I think he absolutely gets taken, right? I mean, you want to bring a guy back near his hometown. I'm sure he would be excited to go back near his hometown. Analytics models love him. And, and the model, That's an right. analytics heavy org. So, you know, I think he absolutely gets taken there. And so I think the Red Wings would basically be assured of, uh, you know, being able to protect the guys they want, knowing that Stetcher's the guy that they're okay losing. If that's the case at the end of the day, then, you know, that's what they're going to decide. To me, I think that'd be a mistake, um, given that I don't But think, do you think it's more plausible of it happening now than you did before he said that? I can't. I can't. I, I take nothing Steve Eiserman says at anything more than the exact words that came out of his mouth. You just, to me, he's a guy that will say very, not enough to, re- like, he'll, really, he says... Just enough to get you to think about the possibilities without at any point committing himself to any of those possibilities. And so I I have a really hard time saying anything more than he likes those players. All right. Well, I still would protect Stetcher. Like my my logic is they should protect Chalowski as the highest upside of the three, along with, you know, after Hronik. And they should protect Stetcher because. I think Lindstrom's best case is still roughly a player equivalent to Stetcher and Stetcher already is that player and he's only 27. Now the flip side might be he only has a one year deal, but it's not like you can't resign him. If you protect him, you can probably resign him. Yeah. I mean, I would resign him particularly if he gives you another solid season. Uh, so, you know, it's tough. Plus, uh, you know, having another right shot defenseman can't have enough of those on Detroit. Right. 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 <laughs> I, I would protect Stetcher. I'm just saying, you know, I, I hear what you're saying about only taking it literally, but it certainly changed the way what I thought of as a slam dunk, you know, Hronik Stetcher and then battle between Chalski and Lindstrom into slam dunk Hronik. And I don't now I don't know which two of the other three get protected. I, I'm just more open to that possibility than I was, because I do think it says something. If you don't want to put them on waivers, I know they're different scenarios, but like that kind of means... You don't, you're, you're worried about losing them and you're going to lose somebody in the expansion draft. And that's ultimately the difference between waivers. You don't have to, you know, the, the, the thresholds for the cutoffs are just like, you know, they're, they're orders of magnitude different. It's like 23 versus 10 or something like that. Um, but it just, I'm just saying it made me more open to that as a, as a possibility than I would have been 30 hours. At ago. this point, nothing would surprise me. Nothing. So I will, I will at least if say you that. Don't, that's fair. If you don't like reading uh, more into Eiserman's comments than what was literally there, you're probably not going to like this next one either. But I could not help hear that quote. It had to be pretty bad to be put on waivers and think back and say, what does this mean for Evgeny Sveshnikov, who they waived twice this year? Yeah. I mean, that's exactly it, right? I mean, so I, again, I don't I don't think he's a part of the long term you know, plan here in Detroit. I know a lot of people will probably be upset about saying that because Really and truly for him, some of it is was just out of his control with the number of injuries. And he's a great he's, guy. He's right. so likable. And, and, you know, you absolutely love him as a person and just the energy he has. And, and you know, he, you can definitely see the skill there. But it's just like at this point, he's 24. He's going to be 25 in October. And he hasn't been able to stick in the lineup. And you're now talking about your core of guys all being guys with multiple seasons in the NHL by the time they're his age. And how does he knock really any of those guys out of a top six spot? And now he's being chased down by the next crop of guys coming in, you know, with Lucas Raymond and Jonathan Berggren, we're pretty much by the end of next season going to be talking about those guys potentially playing ahead of him in the NHL lineup. And so it becomes really hard to sort of sort of spot out for him for that reason alone, I would honestly almost think it's it's mutually beneficial for Sveshnikov to be able yeah. to pursue an opportunity elsewhere because I don't see it shaping up the way uh, things have gone here in Detroit. I, I want all the best for Evgeny. I just think the writing is on the wall. I think so, too. Like, I think the writing is absolutely on the, raw, on the wall. And honestly, that may be a great opportunity for him to be able to go prove it in another organization, you know, whether it's Seattle that has no prospects and therefore he's not being chased and could potentially get in. I mean, you look at what happened with Thomas Nosek in Vegas. Uh, he was a guy that just wasn't really sticking in the NHL lineup for the Red Wings. I think he was 23 when he got picked 
by Vegas, so a little bit younger there. But now he's a solid fourth line player and sometimes plays higher than that for Vegas. Actually, you know, you know what? He was 24 when he got picked by Vegas. And and so maybe it's a scenario like that where he finds a way to get into another team's organization that doesn't have uh, the, the same sort of prospects knocking down the door. And uh, who knows? Maybe he's able to carve out a nice financial career for himself. Yeah, absolutely. Anything else stand out from from Eisman? I don't know. It's very hard to read into anything. He said a lot of words. He answered a lot of questions. But uh, at the end of the day, I don't know that I really know anything more <laughs> about what he's thinking. He, he did once say, I'm going to misquote this, but there it was like the best quote I've ever heard him say. It was like, I wouldn't read anything into anything I said. Yeah, I mean, it, it's <laughs> right. It's literally right there. Um, but we can't not like, come on, that's our job. I mean, job. it is our job to wildly speculate um, within reason. No, not wildly, but like, you know, try to find the little X, the, the, the one next level beyond what he's saying. I don't um, know. I will say, though, my favorite quote from him <laughs> was not that. It was the one where he says, and I think I'm going to misquote this again, but he goes, there's a lot of uh, players out there that I would really like, and I'm having a tough time convincing GMs to give them to me. Yeah. Like, <laughs> it's like, okay, I love it. I love it. There's a lot of players you want to add to this team. You just can't convince the GMs to give them to you. So, you know, I, I actually did enjoy that he seemed to have a little bit more fun and was a little bit more at ease. He's fun. He, he, uh, he's he's been he's been really funny the last the last few. All yeah. Time. And honestly, you know, I think he has a blank check here uh, in Detroit for everything he's done, for everything he continues to do. And honestly, I would just I just want to see the, the next steps. I want to see some of this start to unfold because um, as as patient as as we're all going to be in terms of watching this rebuild, at some point there does have to be that that flipping of the switch. And I think one of you know we've talked at length with all these rebuilding teams how you know some one of the issues was they jumped in too quickly and they started yeah. to turn the, the the knob too quickly. They started to dial things up. You know Buffalo goes out. They trade for Eric Stahl. They they get. Uh, Jeff Skinner, they they do lots of crazy things, and, and that completely derails them. You know, Edmonton goes out, they get Milan Lucic. Uh, they decide that they don't need uh, Taylor Hall, and they instead need Adam Larson. I mean, the teams go out and do crazy things, and it submarines them. But at the same time, there is also the problem of not pursuing more aggressive options and continuing to sit with just waiting on draft lottery odds. Because sometimes those lottery odds, as they continue, as the league adds more teams, as the league continues to crack down on tanking and and wants to make the lottery odds even worse, it's much harder to rely on that than it was six years ago when you had a 25% chance of picking first. And so that's why I know a lot of people didn't like them, but I offered opportunities that you have to do something that fundamentally changes your scheme and you can't just sit and wait on your own draft pick. You got to go out. You got to get multiple firsts that are going to be in the lottery. You got to go out or you got to go out and you got to pursue other options to get players, whether it's an offer sheet, something crazy like that. So I, 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 I'm i very curious to see how this goes because I know he's preached patience. But at some point, there is a there is an issue with being too patient and just waiting on those draft odds. I'm going to go ahead and guess that... Uh posed a question on this topic steve eisman would say something to the effect of there's a lot of 2022 and 23 uh unprotected first round draft picks that i'd like i i just can't get any other gms to that's give exactly to it right you know uh <laughs> who's to say that he hasn't tried right that's the other thing we're not privy to that information i, I pictured him just like calling up you know you know uh kyle Dubas. hey kyle uh can i get matthews Oh, okay. All right. All right. All right. And then it's uh, it's literally <laughs> him putting the phone Let down. Let me know if that changes. It's, it's him putting the phone down at that point. He then picks up his, uh, you know, contact list. And then it's like, all right, let's spin the wheel. Hey, Ken, can I get Connor McDavid? What about Leon Dressler? <laughs> okay, nope. All right, let's go to the next one. All hey, right. Boston. Joe right? Sackett. Let's go to Joe Sackett. Hey, can I have Nathan McKinnon? No. What about Kale McCarr? McCarr. <laughs> so, you know, it's, it's, a fun, it's a fun idea to think through. But, you know, at the end of the day, with all that being said, I love the patience. I love everything he's done so far. But there does have there there will be a point in time where I think relying on draft odds is not going to be enough, and that's sort of the move that I think needs to happen um, in the next one to two years if you're going to dig out of this rebuild and and start moving things forward correctly, not jumping too early, but 
doing it correctly. I agree with you. And I, and I think, you know, as he identifies guys like Larkin, Bertuzzi, Verona as the age group that they, um, you know, that as kind of kind of the upper threshold of that age group, I think you have to be mindful that you, you do want to get at least two or three years of, of those guys in their prime, a, a crack at it, which, which indicates you got to be ready to be um, at least vying for the playoffs in the playoffs within two to three years. Yep. And I mean, Vying for the playoffs sooner in the playoffs. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you need to be knocking on the door in Blashill's second year of this contract, in my opinion. Yeah. I agree with you. I, I think so, too. And I'm sure there are some uh, Matvey Michkov and uh, Connor Bedard enthusiasts out there who, who don't want to hear it. But I think the best case scenario for this franchise uh, is to you know take another step forward next year and to be in, at least in the kind of position that like the New York Rangers were in this year in 2022-23. Yeah, exactly. And and again, just because you're taking that step forward doesn't necessarily mean that you're now not eligible for those. That's the whole importance of getting those yeah. extra lottery picks because conceivably if you think about some of the other rebuilds that have happened um you know across other leagues like you look at some of yeah. these deals like the Boston Celtics were able to turn a monster deal by dealing Paul Pierce and Kevin Garnett over to the Brooklyn Nets into multiple first-round picks such that they actually started getting good and were still picking in the lottery. And so, you know, get creative, get imaginative. Like, pick on those teams that think they're better than they actually are. Pick on Columbus. Pick on Nashville. Nashville was a bad team. I think Columbus knows I mean, Columbus knows now. I think Columbus knows now. But but Nashville was a bad team, very bad team, the first half of this year. Yeah. And they got really hot late and pushed their way into the playoffs. That's a team that... Number one, fundamentally, Philip Forsberg, I love him, great. Victor Arvidsson's great. That's an aging team that doesn't really have a lot of roster moves that also doesn't have a lot of great prospects. And and that's a team you can pick on as, hey, that bottom is about to fall out. You know, Philly was another team that I I threw out this year. I think people laughed at me initially until they watched Philly Crater. Philly, I still think, is going to come back next year and say, we're better than this. We have Claude Giroux. We have Jacob Voracek. We have... Travis Konechny, we can be a better hockey team, but Philly's another team without great prospects and can have the bottom fall out. And so pick on those teams, and there's a chance you can get better on the ice while still getting better in the draft. And that's sort of the moves that that need to happen, I think, for the Red Wings to kind of take that next step. Yeah, you're looking for next year's Columbus or the or last year's San Jose, right? Like you're looking for the team that or is Ottawa before only then. months away. Yep. So that's... What's oh, that? Ottawa before then, right? That's how it all got kicked. Or Ottawa up. before then. Yeah. So yeah, that's who you need to pick on. And if you can do that, then you become Colorado drafting Bowen Byram with fourth overall pick. Uh, well, already, well, a, already playoff a playoff team. team. Exactly. That's how you do it. Um, you know, obviously, yes, they got they were able to pick up Landis Gog and McKinnon, and that's a huge part of things. And they hit on Mika Rantanen as well um, as a, as a top ten pick. But you know, being able to still then get. Bowen Byram in a pick like that really makes them into a juggernaut team is sort of what I'm getting at. Would you take like a 2024 first round pick from a, a Boston and Islanders, uh, whatever, a team like that? Just, you know, you don't even know who the guys in 20, at least I don't even know who the guys in 2024 are next year, but you can just confidently say if it's, if it can turn into a top 10 pick, you know, at a time when you expect to be in the playoffs, you know, that, that variance is kind of almost yeah worth i mean it. i don't know that i've ever seen a pick traded that far out because i just don't think i think a lot of people think very short-sighted but really you want to yeah. play on that variance you want to play on that 2023 or 2024 pick because they're in 2024 think right now who can you confidently say is going to be a playoff yeah. team i can say colorado yeah. and i can say carolina but tampa Toronto, I can, I I can probably say Toronto, although at some point you have to wonder if their salary cap issues um, manifest yeah. if the cap's not going to escalate. Now, granted, they have all their big guns all locked up, um, but is there going to be a point in time where they maybe have to think about how they supplement the rest of the roster? They've done a nice job by bringing in cheap veterans. Maybe they can keep doing that. So you probably pencil them in, but yeah. beyond... It's possible Tampa's you're right. not. That's what I, I mean. mean. Tampa's going to have to deal with the cap. Yeah. And Florida, we don't know that much about. I mean, maybe if they're able to keep Barkov. Um, but Tampa's going to have to do another Braden Point contract next year, right? So, uh, or maybe in 2023, I can't remember for sure. But in, in the next one to two years, they have another Braden Point contract to deal with. 
so, you know, there's no guarantee there for Tampa. And so outside of that, I can't really confidently say who's going to be a playoff team. So that's why that's why you pick on those teams. Let me look when Tampa has all their guys coming up because I'm very fascinated by this. I, I love their I roster. mean, Kucherov's long-term, uh, Vasilevsky's long-term, Hedman's long-term, uh, Stamkos is still... Point is next yeah, summer. Yeah, so, okay, point's the big one. And he, and he's, that's a last, last RFA year, I believe. So that has to either be long or he, or it's going to be a walk. Yeah. I mean, I, I assume that's got to be a $9 million plus deal. You'd have him. to assume it's at least that. And so that's where... They do get Palat's money come off the books at that same time. Yeah. So they can replace with that. Uh, what are they going to do this summer with Coleman and Barkley Goudreau? What are they going to do this summer with uh, you know, Ross Colton's a guy that came in and scored more than I think anyone would have expected. I assume they're going to have to bridge him here. Uh, they're going to have to do a deal for Cal Foot this summer. They they did get a couple good some some good term on those two defensemen last summer and and Sergachev and Chernak. Those guys are locked up through twenty three. Yeah, so, but that's still before right, twenty four to our right. point. So they're still. To me, there's a number of teams that have a lot of question marks about what they're going to be, um, and that's that's maybe the kind of moves that I sort of want to see over the next one to two years is going after those teams that have those big question marks. All right. Uh, anything else before we wrap up? That's all I got. All right. Me too. Thanks for uh, listening today. Thanks for being patient with us until uh, we had some of this stuff to talk about. And uh, would really love to hear from you guys, especially next week or, or, or leading into next week, about what you want to hear us talk about. If there's a, you know, we don't have anything right, you know, on, on the schedule for right now. So if there's something you've always wanted us to, to get to, and maybe um, I've ignored you, I apologize. I have not done it on purpose. Um, email me, DM me, whatever you want to do. Uh, my email, I think, is on the stories on The Athletic that you can go to, but it's it's M-B-U-L-T-M-A-N at theathletic.com. Would love to hear from you with your kind of like dream segments from us, and we'll see how many of them we can get to next week. So, uh Thanks so much, and we'll talk to you then.